Hello and welcome to another episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. My guest this week is no one. It's just me and welcome to the first episode ever recorded from another country. I have just recently moved to London with my darling wife off the back of her grandmother having been born in Manchester and therefore the two of us qualifying for ancestry visas. Isn't that an absolute treat. My grandparents uh, were not from the UK. They were from uh, Germany and Poland and Czechoslovakia, a country that doesn't even exist anymore. But my wife's grandmother got us into the UK, so God bless her soul. So I'm in the UK right now. I've just moved here. I've got shows coming up in Edinburgh and also London, some stuff in mainland Europe and also some shows back home in Melbourne, in Australia, in October. Head to my website, michaelshafer.com, for all the details on that. Before we get into the episode, today we're going to be chatting about Joe Rogan. He wants to debate a scientist on his show and is calling him out on Twitter right now. I'm going to weigh into that. Trump, meanwhile, is uh, he's being indicted, and i got to say, he might be the worst criminal uh, in history. He's so bad at covering his tracks. And I just read about a new set of gay penguins back home in Australia who are now being used to teach kids about sexuality and consent. I think it's fantastic, but uh, I look forward to the protests coming through uh, of people claiming that these penguins are now grooming their children. I'm going to have a chat about that as well. Before we get into all that, let's hit the intro music and then I'll be back with the podcast. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in. I'm over my jet lag from my 17-hour flight from Perth to London. It was actually a pretty good flight, but I real I realized that I've I've learned this about myself over the course of the flight is that usually I don't hate rich people. Usually I, when I see rich people out in the wild, I usually think, you know what? They deserved that Porsche. They worked hard. They earned it. Good on them. They're looking trim in their Ralph Lauren. They're enjoying a $28 omelette at a trendy cafe on a Sunday morning. Good on them. They deserve it. I don't have any ill feelings towards the, the rich. But I've noticed that that changes pretty dramatically when I'm on a plane and I, I walk past business class into economy and all I'm thinking about is uh, we should eat them. We should eat the rich. That's It's not their fault that I have that thought, but it is something that I genuinely contemplated on the, over those 17 hours, particularly when they brought out the economy food, which is kind of like just this mashed up goo most of the time. And I'm not, I don't want to be Seinfeld and be like, oh, what's the deal with airplane food? I was just saying it was bad. And I think that perhaps maybe instead of eating uh, airplane food, we could, sa- just hear me out, we could sacrifice one rich person uh, in business class and we and the economy people get to eat them because firstly, I think the meal would be a bit better 
than what they're currently serving. And also, it doesn't mean that there's like one extra seat in business class now and, you know, someone gets an upgrade. So I just think that everyone wins except for that one rich person. But, you know, this is all about serving the collective. And I've got a very utilitarian approach to serving the interests of the public. So tell me if you think you agree with that. We should eat one business class person on every flight. Let me know what you think. I think it's a good idea. I think it could take off. Excuse the pun. But I'm in England. It's exciting to be in England. It's nice. I feel like it's where I'm meant to be. I think if you're a white person, you should go to to England just because that's like the birthplace of white people. So I'm walking around here and I'm like, it's nice to be back in the birthplace of white people. It's a similar vibe when I go when I go to Israel. I've been to Israel a couple of times and as a big old Jew, uh, those are my pronouns, big old Jew, as a big old Jew, whenever I walk around Israel, I do feel like I belong there. I do feel like, okay, you know, I don't have the biggest nose in the room for once and I find that kind of comforting. So it's nice being back in England. It's nice being here. Everyone is white. And honestly, I feel like this is the real... If you want to be an ally for Indigenous Australians, and we all want to be allies, you know, we're all voting yes. I mean, I think I think we are. I think most people are. I will find out. The point is, if you're voting yes on the voice to parliament later on this year, that's great. But really, what you need to do is you need to leave the country uh, and move back to England, where white people belong, and you need to vacate their traditional lands, and leave them for the Indigenous people, which is really what we should be doing when you think about it. When push comes to shove, that's what we should be doing. We don't want to do that. That's what we should be doing. And that's, to be honest, why the welcome to country just feels a bit off to me whenever I hear it at a ceremony. It always feels a bit artificial because, well, the acknowledgement of country, not the welcome to country, because that's actually done by a traditional owner of the land, a traditional custodian. That makes sense. But when like white people do an acknowledgement of country, you know, at the footy, for example, they'll be like, hey, we need to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land. They do that and then they just proceed with playing the football match on the MCG. And you you, you can't acknowledge it's their land and then stay on their land. You got to leave. You got to vacate. That's the natural next step if you're an actual ally is you vacate the land. Now, that's what I've done. Am I a hero? Look, you said it. I don't want to call myself a hero, but I'm certainly, I'm certainly Jew. All I'm saying is that I think that I deserve, I was going to say I deserve like an OBE, but that's a medal awarded by the Queen. I don't think she would give out, you know, well, she's dead. But my point is, I'm an ally. I'm a hero and I've moved back to England where I belong. Honestly, I think that that's what should happen when the vote for the Indigenous Voice to Parliament goes through. I think that when the yes vote comes through, hopefully it does come through, I think if I were in, an Indigenous elder, the first thing I would do is turn up to Parliament and be like, okay, first order of business, you guys got to go. You guys are out of here. And everyone's going to be like, oh, shit, we only voted on this because we thought it was symbolic. And they're going to be like, nah, suck shit, dickheads. It wasn't get the fuck out and then everyone has to leave and we all have to go back to to england as refugees would you believe which would be kind of incredibly ironic all these people turning up on boats to to england let's just see how much they like it so i guess my point is it's nice to see 
white people in England. It's kind of where we belong. But I've also noticed, and this is quite fascinating, is that uh, it's it's such a diverse uh, city, London. It's, uh, I think, far more diverse than any city I've been to in Australia. And i got to say, it's really nice seeing people from the countries that the British previously colonised, like with their communities and their, their thriving here. It's beautiful. There's like a, a Jamaican community. There's so many different African communities. It's great to see that because it's it's kind of like just seeing reverse colonization in action. Like I think it's it's beautiful that all these people who historically were oppressed by the British and had their their land taken away from them have now come to England and be like, no, we're we're done to take this bit now. We're gonna have this part. I think that's nice. I think they've played the long game. You know what I mean? Like they've it's suddenly they're finally getting a bit of justice. It's the same feeling I had when I, I went to Hawaii many years ago and so many Japanese people go there on holiday and all I'm thinking is well done guys you played the long game like yes you lost World War Two. you lost the, but that was just the battle you know you lost the battle but really you won the war because now you just go to Hawaii for holiday whenever you want which is kind of what they were after anyway back in 1941 so I guess my point is it's nice seeing, you know, people playing the long game and it paying off. By the way, when I was in Hawaii, I did go to the Pearl Harbor. I did go to the Pearl Harbor uh, Memorial and was quite blown away by the number of uh, Japanese people at the memorial. Not to say they shouldn't go to the memorial. Go for it. Go check it out. See see how much the Imperial uh, regime achieved all those decades ago. I guess it's like someone from Saudi Arabia going to um, where the Twin Towers were in New York. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you're seeing where, uh, you're seeing, like if, if you were a member of Al-Qaeda, that's probably the first place you'd go to kind of just, you know, see your greatest hits. My point is, it's great to be back in England. And the big story this week is Joe Rogan, uh, the uh, guy who has a very, very popular podcast um, he is calling out a scientist called uh, Peter Hotez, who is a very pro-vaccine scientist and has been a big uh, proponent and advocate for vaccines over a number of years and has previously been a guest on the Joe Rogan podcast. Joe Rogan has called him out on Twitter and said, mate, come on my podcast and I want you to debate me and also, I'll be the moderator, and you'll be debating uh, another regular guest of mine called Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is the son of Robert F. Kennedy, hence the junior, and also is the nephew of J.F. Kennedy, the guy who got shot in the head many years ago. So, for some reason, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, is wanting to debate a scientist about the efficacy of vaccines. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of things to be explained in this story. But basically, you've got Joe Rogan, a guy who is famous for commentating MMA fights and who used to be on a show called Fear Fact. Imagine trying to explain this to someone who... I'm, I'm, I'm trying to explain this to your, your, my dear listeners as if this is your first day on planet Earth. So I'm trying to take you all the way back to square one. Apologies if you know some of this already, but it's it's too strange. It's if you were the first, if this was your first day on Earth, and someone was like, "Hey, what's the, what's the big thing that's happening right now 
in the culture wars and you're like, oh, there's this guy who used to host a show in the 90s called Fear Factor where he would challenge people to eat uh, witchetty grubs. So that guy, he hosts the biggest podcast in the world. What's a podcast? I don't have time to explain that. But he, you're listening to one right now. He hosts the biggest podcast in the world, this guy. And he is kind of skeptical of vaccines. So he's got this other guy to come on his show. Now, this other guy is the nephew of a very famous U.S. president who was shot in the head, apparently, by the CIA. The point is, this guy, called Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, is skeptical about vaccines. And he thinks that they cause autism and a bunch of other things. And he wants to debate a scientist called uh, Peter Hotez. He's got like a PhD in everything. He's got all the, all the credentials. And he wants to debate this scientist about the efficacy of vaccines. Now, so that's all the backstory. I think that took about 45 minutes, but we got there in the end. Now, that, that is the backstory. Now, my response to this is, it's pretty great that I think debating is finally cool because all of a sudden, everyone on Twitter is like, debate, debate me, bro, debate me. You got to do the debate, do the debate, debate, debate. Like everyone's debating uh, and everyone thinks debating is cool again, which, well, again, it's never been cool. And I'll tell you, I know that because I was in the debate class when I was in uh, year 10, when I was 15, 16, I was in the debate class at school. I got to say, not very cool. I, I think the people that are saying, debate me, bro, go on Joe Rogan and debate Joe Rogan. You, what are you scared? You're scared of debating Joe Rogan? The people who are saying that, they're the same people who would have beaten me up at school for debating. But all of a sudden, they're pro-debate, which I think is good. You've got to have debate is good. The problem is, this is not really a debate that they're going to have. It's just going to be like, just performance. That's all it's going to be. Because... You, you can't have a debate where there's such a huge discrepancy in the knowledge and expertise of the two people in the debate, particularly when the moderator of that debate is famous for challenging people to eat bugs in the 90s. So it's just going to be hard to kind of get any real, uh, any real kind of uh, robust and good faith debate happening in that context. I'll give you I'll give you an analogy that I'm imagining, right? Okay, so Gary Kasparov is like the best chess player uh, uh, you know, probably ever. There's another guy called Magnus Carlsen right now, but he's not as famous. So I'm going to stick with Gary Kasparov for the purposes of this analogy. So Gary Kasparov is one of the greatest chess players of all time, right? Now, I am not really good at chess. I dabbled in chess a bit when I was younger. I'm not good. I'm, I'm, I'm quite average. But the equivalent would be like me, to, me going on Twitter and being like, hey, Gary Kasparov, come and play me in chess. What, are you scared? Or if you don't accept my challenge to play me in chess, well then, obviously, you know that I'm better at chess than you are. And that that's the equivalent. And What's and what could happen? The, this is the best case scenario for Gary Kasparov in that situation. Best case scenario is that he he comes on my show, and we film ourselves uh, playing chess. And also, the guy who's moderating the match is Joe Rogan, right? 
And Joe Rogan, uh, I don't think he knows the rules of chess either way. And also, Joe Rogan uh, is really wants me to win because he just wants to embarrass Gary Kasparov, okay? So in that situation, I'm playing chess against Gary Kasparov and, of course, he annihilates me in this game of chess. Absolutely smashes me because I don't know how to do pawn structure. I don't know how to castle. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, like, I'm doing my bishop, you know, sideways, my knight is moving like a rook. I don't, I don't know how to, how to play chess. So eventually, you know, he destroys me. He goes, checkmate, bang, you lost. And then what happens is that Joe Rogan, who doesn't know anything about chess, is going to be like, oh, you fucking lost Gary Kasparov. You fucking suck, dude. You're so bad. You just got embarrassed. And all the people who are, are watching and know anything about chess which is a very very small group of people because it's a very expert subject much like vaccines those people watching will be like no i'm pretty sure like gary clearly won like you know you could see him moving the pieces around he knows what he's doing when he came to this ultimate checkmate i think he won that's got to be one percent of the people watching it and then 99 percent of the people watching it will just be you know presumably my fans who are going to be like, no, this guy smashed you, Gary Kasparov. He humiliated you. You said you were good at chess. You thought you were good at chess and you got demolished. So that's what's, that's what's going to happen is that even if he accepts the debate and even if he brings all the science and all the facts and uses his expertise to win, the people who think that this, you know, Dr. Peter Hotez is lying. The people who think that he is a shill for Pfizer are going to think that irrespective of the outcome of the debate. Equally, the people who think that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is correct in his skepticism of vaccines, those people are going to be like, oh yeah, he won the debate. He dominated. You're not going to change anyone's mind. No one is going to benefit from this except for Joe Rogan, perhaps, because he's going to get a lot more people listening to his podcast. There's no, there's no situation where this leads to a better world. It's only a situation that just justifies and legitimizes people mistrusting the vaccine and it just will further, further polarize people further. So that is my take on this whole debate me bullshit. Um, and I will say this, Peter Hotez, if you want to come on my podcast and debate me, I'd love to have you on because I will fucking annihilate you. And also, Gary Kasparov, if you want to come on, I'll, I'll have you, mate. But we have to play um, World of Warcraft, not chess, because I think that, you know, that would... I, I think I'd be a better shot at betting you in that regard. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is uh, finding himself in, in hot water. Hot water again, um, which is a bit of an understatement. He, he's been indicted, and um, the indictment has been released... Recently, now there's so many indictments going on against Trump at the moment. He's 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 spending more time in court right now than a priest who's you know been found out. So right now he's in court so so much. Now the the current uh, the current issue that he's facing in court is that he had all these boxes. I'm not sure if you remember this. This was a while back, but the FBI raided his private residence Mar-a-Lago because he had all these boxes of uh, you know documents that he had taken. Um, from the White House that kind of weren't his. Like the FBI was like, hey, can you return 
all these boxes. Some of them have classified documents in them. And he was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Eventually, he, you know, he ignored a subpoena to return the boxes. They turn up, they take the boxes, and they find a lot of classified stuff in them. Now, that's just a kind of a bit of a quick recap as to what's been happening uh, in this Trump uh, indictment. Now, what I find amazing about Donald Trump is that he's, he's so bad at being a criminal. Like he's so, so bad at it. You, you almost feel sorry for him. And I, I, I mean, recently, I discussed this recently on the podcast, but you know, he was found in a civil matter to have like groped this woman many years earlier. And, you know, in the civil matter, he was found to have literally grabbed her genitals. And of course, that matches up perfectly with him bragging on another tape about how you would grab women by the pussy, which is just bad just dumb things to do. Like if you're if you're a guy who was going around sexually assaulting people, don't talk about it on on the on camera. Don't talk about it into a microphone. It's just you got to cover your tracks better, Donald. Anyway, he's done it again here because his own lawyer has kind of fucked him in in this situation. So, according to his lawyer's notes, which were uh, subpoenaed by the FBI, Donald Trump said to his lawyer, hey, the FBI wants all these boxes to be returned, and I think a lot of these boxes have classified material in them. So he said to his lawyer, hey, do you mind, just like before you return the boxes to the FBI, can you just remove the classified stuff from the boxes because I don't want to, like, you know, be found to have been keeping uh, nuclear secrets in uh, my shower at Mar-a-Lago. I think that could get me into a bit of trouble. Now, of course, his lawyer didn't actually do that. And in fact, he took down notes of how Donald Trump had instructed him to do this. And then those notes were then subpoenaed by the FBI because the FBI was like, hey, you, it's, it's not attorney-client privilege if you're asking your own lawyer to commit fraud for you. So basically, Trump has, has fucked himself Again, but we're living in a post-truth world, so the facts don't actually matter. It doesn't actually matter that Trump tried to hold on to nuclear documents. It doesn't matter because the people who like him like him and they'll vote for him, and the people who don't like him will just hate him no matter what. And it doesn't matter because this will go to a jury. You just need one insane Trump guy on the jury. He gets off. There's no consequences. Nothing matters in this world. And I do like the way that Trump is handling this, to be quite honest. He's an absolute genius. He's just like, he's just deflect, deflect, deflect. Whenever he's asked about it, he's a genius. Whenever he's asked about it, he goes, well, what about Joe Biden, who had a bunch of boxes at his private home? And I got to say, that's actually a very good argument. That's actually, because when I, if I'm thinking about who do I want, like if, who do I want to have private classified top secret documents more i'm probably going to say trump over biden probably only because i just think trump would at least like remember where they were you know what i mean like trump for all his faults he still remembers shit like he still would be like oh yeah the oh that document that has like the passcode for the nuclear warhead that's currently aimed at moscow oh yeah that passcode at one two three four yeah i left that um next to um my toilet 
in the upstairs room, third door on the left. That's that's where those were. That's the guest room. That's the guest room. And I just kind of leave that. I kind of leave that document around just for reading material. Because sometimes you go to the bathroom and you've already, you know, you don't want to look at your phone because you've been looking at your phone all day and you think, no, a bit of screen hygiene will be good for me while I'm doing a poo. So what you do is you look around you and you go, what's what's around for me to read? Oh, there's some old, there's some old magazines. There's a newspaper from a couple of days ago. Oh, what's this? Oh, top secret nuclear documents. This will be nice to read while I'm taking a shit. So my point is, Trump would at least know where the documents were and he's probably placed them around his home so that he can entertain guests while they're on the toilet or while they're just sitting around. You know, he's got a, probably got a few, um, you know, documents strewn across the coffee table, you know, about how the CIA killed JFK, you know, just stuff like that. So I just think that at least he would know where he's put them all. Now, Joe Biden, on the other hand, I don't think he knows where he is, uh, let alone where uh, his documents are. So I am actually, I'm on board with Trump because I, I think if you ask like Joe Biden, um, where are the, the documents that you took from the White House, um, he would mumble something um, and shit his pants. So I don't think you'd get much of an answer from him, but at least Trump knows where they are. And I will say this, the way that Trump has managed to deflect on Biden, it's really smart. It's good stuff. Because the other day he posted on True Social, he said, what about Joe Biden's 1,850 boxes? That's a lot of boxes. That sounds like a lot of boxes. He says, what about all these boxes that were stored in his office near Chinatown? And he wrote Chinatown in big capitals. And I think that's a really smart way to deflect because what he's basically implying to his followers is that Joe Biden kept his documents near Chinatown and you know who frequents Chinatown uh, Xi Jinping regularly regularly visits the local Chinatown in Washington DC regularly goes there so the implication is that Joe Biden was leaving his documents out for the CCP to read. And i got to say, it's a strong argument. And I think that if he puts that to the jury in his upcoming trial, there's statistically going to be one MAGA fuckhead with the red hat on going, that sounds like uh, uh, not guilty to me. So my point is, good on uh, Trump. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to play the game. Look, the last thing I need to talk about today is the uh, gay penguins that are in Australia. So, if you don't know, there's two two gay penguins who are uh, currently uh, at a zoo in New South Wales. And bloody oath, we love these gay penguins in Australia. And we, we love them because whenever someone says something like, you know, it's Adam and Eve, not an, an Adam and... It's not Adam and... It's Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve know that bullshit whenever someone says that we're all like no but look at the penguins look at these two two male penguins sucking and fucking each other and that proves that homosexuality is natural and that therefore you should vote yes 
and pride and etc. And so we look at the penguins. They are a symbol of equality and unity and they are gay icons, these two penguins. Their names, by the way, are Sven and Magic. Isn't that nice? Sven and Magic. And these gay penguins, they love it. They, they suck and fuck all day and everyone loves it. And now we're going to be using these penguins in the New South Wales curriculum back home in Australia. They're using these penguins to teach kids about sexuality, which I think is great because you can't put like two men in front of each other um, sucking and fucking. You can't do that in front of children because that's illegal, but you can get penguins to do it and that's kind of cute and that's nice and we can all enjoy that. In fact, they're at the aquarium right now. So you can kind of like, at the moment, they're creating a, uh, a new curriculum for teachers. So you can take like kids who are like kind of like from kindergarten up to grade two. So we're talking like ages like five to eight or so. You take them down to the aquarium and they get to see the penguins. And look, they're probably not going to be sucking and fucking each other. But I imagine the teacher, because they're probably not doing that all the time. But I imagine the teacher will be like, hey, look at these two male penguins. You know what they're going to do? You know what they were doing before you got here? 60 90 That's what they were doing. And the kid's are like, what's 60 90 And they go, oh, well, I'll, I'll explain later. There's a lot of geometry involved. To be honest, if you want to understand 60 90 you've probably got to, got to pass you know, trigonometry first where you can work out the angles. My point is, these uh, penguins are great. They're gay icons and they're being used to teach kids about sexuality. I think it's wonderful. My only concern is that you know the right-wing insane fuckheads are going to turn up, you know, on the, the, the school excursions and they, they, you know what they're going to do. They're going to do the same thing that they do at the drag events. They're going to turn up and be like, you're grooming the children the, these penguins are groomers. The penguins are grooming the children. Put the penguins in jail. They're grooming the children. Look at the little outfits they're wearing. They're wearing tuxedos, goddammit. They're grooming the children. That's what's going to happen. You know that's what's going to happen. I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen. Everyone, everyone is waiting for that to happen. If I worked at that aquarium, I'd be like, fuck me dead. Oh, we're going to get death threats now because we got gay penguins and the kids are coming to look at the gay penguins. How annoying would it be to be an employee at that aquarium? All you want to do is just feed them penguins and fish and, you know, and, and look at the, and, and take people through and show them the sharks and, and now they're getting death threats. I mean, you know it's going to happen. I hope it doesn't happen. But I know it's going to happen because people have lost their fucking minds and you can't even just show kids a couple of male penguins sucking and fucking each other without people losing their goddamn minds. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. I hope you found that enlightening and enjoyable. Um, if you enjoyed it, please uh, leave a nice review, tell a friend about it, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. Helps people find out about the podcast and helps me keep making it. Thank you so much again for listening. Do check out my live shows at my website. I've also got a pod... I've also got... Not a podcast. This is the podcast. I've got a YouTube comedy special. It's called All Right Next Joke. It's pretty good. And if you are, go on YouTube and type in Michael Schaefer. Uh, you'll see that pop up. Enjoy that. Have a good week. I'll see you guys next week with some more insane takes on the culture wars.